I want to talk about what, what I, I feel like I've seen and sharing a little bit, like I said, with the other stuff. And unfortunately, it is something that is so obvious um, that I think we've assumed it. And that's where I think some of this hiccup has, has been. Um, you see this a lot, actually, with generational things. Something that has happened to you, you kind of assume that's going to happen as the next generation goes on. It's going to kind of be passed on. A great example of this is like if you were to show anyone under the age of 12, uh, go on YouTube and just type in dial tone, just the sound of a dial tone, and you were to show anyone under the age of 12 a dial tone, they would have no idea what that sound is. I'm not making this up. You can look it up. It's crazy. So pay phones, which still exists, by the way, there's an emergency. They run to this box. They pick it up. They have no idea what's going on, right? Okay. We have done a poor job of telling them what a dial tone is. Now that's silly, okay? But the idea being that we assume just certain things uh, that, that this next generation is going to know, I feel like we've done this in Christianity too, and I don't want to speak in broad strokes. Let me say this very specifically. I think we've done this at Redemption Peoria, and I'm saying as an individual, I've done this. And, and, and it's what, what we've missed in this. And we do this in Christianity, and it's not just in silly ways either, like the dial tone or even... Um, I put on our WhatsApp chat a couple, uh, a couple months ago with our, our redemption community, and um, I made a reference to third day, okay? And we have some young people in our um, redemption community, and two things happened. One, they asked who's third day, okay? Um, at which point, someone put up a picture of Nickelback, okay? <laughs> Number two, every, the younger was like, oh my gosh, you sound like my dad, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, this ain't happening. So for three months, when they walked into our house, all they heard was third day from Alexa, okay? Alexa, play third day, and that's what happened. For, for all the, the time getting ready again, they're going to know who third day is. I want to sing a song to you. Yeah, they're going to know, right? Now, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in church, so getting saved in high school, third day was my jam. I didn't know about the cheesiness of not listening to Kayla. And listen, I didn't know the taboos. I just loved it. I just was all in with the, the, the culture of Christianity, and so I wanted to pass that on. And the reality is that, that that's a silly idea, but there's a, a dense idea, a core idea that Scripture speaks to that I think we've tried to sexy up in different ways and missed altogether. And so it's in verses like this. Let me share some of these verses. In Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 40, it says this, But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. You'll find in Colossians 1, 28, it says this, that we want to present everyone mature in Christ. In Psalm 4, uh, 145, 4, it says this, One generation commands your work to another. They tell of your mighty works. In Romans six seventeen, it says this, You have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you have been committed. So, um, when I read those texts, it may sound like a modgepodge of verses. And I think we miss the thread in them, not because we're foolish, but I think we're assuming the thread that I'm putting in front of you there, the thread that we find in being mature in Christ, the thread that we find in being trained, the thread that we find uh, uh, in ta- uh, uh, taking the standard of teaching from one generation to another. It's the thread that we find in older women in Titus 2 to younger women. It's the thread even we find with husbands over their wives. What we have missed in, in trying to be um, uh, observing the culture and putting people in community and assuming things is something that happened to me and a lot of you that's not happening, at least intentionally, in our congregation. And that is individual, active discipleship. I think, 
I think we've been really good at passive discipleship, meaning we, we um, say get in a community and we want you to get in a community. Like, yes and amen, but I think, and I'll speak, not in broad strokes, I'll speak for myself. Every time I've said get in community, I think what I'm doing is I'm assuming in community you're going to be discipled. Uh, When you come to the corporate gathering, you're going to be discipled. And I want to say yes and amen, that's true. That's absolutely true. That is a part of discipleship. But what, what I'm noticing is, is as we continue to go on this trajectory, we're finding a lot of people where there's not intentionality. And so I've read... I don't know, this might be an exaggeration, but I've read probably 20 different definitions of discipleship in the last week. Um, And in looking through all of them, I think the best way that I can define discipleship, and this is how I would sum up as simple as I could in three words, to intentionally show. To intentionally show. Whether that be through verbal teaching, whether that be with your own life, whether that be leading. Do you have someone that is intentionally showing you the standard of faith. And I don't mean just passively, like, yeah, you're here. And uh, let, let's get real for a second. I'll be super honest. Uh, the Millers, now the Millers, Josh and Holly, they got married yesterday. And, and I was at the rehearsal dinner on Friday with their family. And Josh's, Josh, who's our youth director here, um, Josh's sister asked me at, as we sit, sat uh, at the table. She said, um, are you Josh's mentor? And like... Yeah, I mean, yes. I felt so convicted by it because I think what I've done is I'm assuming this stuff is happening. Yeah, by, by way of passivity, I am Josh's mentor. Yes, that's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way Jesus has done it. And so some of us in the room are assuming, yes, I'm doing this thing, and there's peer discipleship, yes and amen. There's in community, yes and amen. We're seeing together. All these are part, but let me just ask you, like, Who is intentionally, actively showing you the faith? Who's there guiding you in this thing? Let me just flip it to, who are you guiding? Who are you showing? Jesus, in all of his wisdom, chose to pass on his kingdom through frail human beings. Frail human beings to pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. A great example of this, I want you to see this in Proverbs chapter 2. I'll be real quick with this. Proverbs chapter 2, it says this. My child, this is verses 1 through 6, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain, uh, gain knowledge of God. So pretty simple. That's what we want, right? As believers, I'm assuming you want the knowledge of God. You, you, you want a, a, a wisdom. You want understanding. Listen to what it says here in verse 6. For the Lord grants wisdom, you ready? From his, the Lord's, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now I want you to see that. I want you to look at that, that whole section of verses in its entirety for a second. The back half of there in verse 6 just said, the Lord from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. But that text started with this declaration. My child, listen to what I say. Do you see, what, do you see what, what's happening there? The idea is that God chooses Why he chooses, how he chooses to do it, he chooses to use somebody in this faith, who knows this faith, who's been walking in this faith, to come and show you this faith, to walk with you in this faith, to show you these words of wisdom, to show you what it means to fear the Lord. And so many of us, myself, had that someone. 
But, but, but I think as, as we look across our congregation, I don't know how many of you, and I'm not going to have obviously raise your hand, who would say, no, I have that someone right now. And that's not the way that Christianity works. It's been assumed. We're, we've assumed that these things are taking place, and it's just not the case. And so I want to give an, a be, the best I can an apologetic for why this is important based on Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 2. And then I'm going to give some uh, closing thoughts on what our plan is moving forward as we kind of look at this. Okay, so if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, um, excuse me, the context is uh, pretty simple as you're going there. Uh, Timothy and Titus, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy and Titus are called uh, the pastoral epistles. They're written from the Apostle Paul to these pastors who are pastoring churches. And Timothy is pastoring this church. And um, he continues to give him guidance, not just personally, but how to lead the church. This section here is tricky because what he's doing is he's um, leaning into Timothy, who's a pastor, a leader, to uh, how to lead this church as someone who is discipling these people who he's leading. So what I want to do actually is I want to take this idea and see what he's talking about, but I actually want to tease out what that relationships look like based on the examples he's given. And, and maybe that won't make sense. And if it doesn't feel free to find me afterwards and I can explain what I can after we go through it, but I want to tease this out. And, and the reason I think this is important, you can, let's start in verse seven. We're not going to work backwards, but I just want you to see in verse seven, look at verse seven. It says this, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So there's a lot of times where we can come to a text and kind of force, like, I don't know what this is saying. Here's what it's saying. Paul intentionally says over these last six verses, I want you to sit on this. Think about this. Marinate on it for a little bit. The Lord will give you what I'm trying to communicate, okay? And I want you to know that's, that's what I've tried to do. I try to sit on this. And ultimately, again, this is uh, to a pastor to disciple people. And I, I want to kind of turn some things on their head. Now, we're going to actually start with verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1 at the end, because verse 2 is probably the most famous verse in this section of verses. Some of you might have it subconsciously memorized. It says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Just so you're aware, that word men there uh, is anthropos. It's the generic uh, version of mankind. Okay, So it's not entrust only to men, but rather entrust to people. Um, and so that just is what it is. But I want you to see this again. Let me read it again. What you have heard uh, from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. In its simplest form, what you've heard from me, tell other people. It's in its simplest form. What I showed you, I want you to show other people. But there is a caveat. You can see it, right? I don't want you just to show anyone. I want you to show other people who will show other people. And it's safe to assume that the same command could go to the people that Timothy shows to the people that he's showing to them, okay? Meaning, what we even have in this text, if you look at it closely, you have five generations represented here. So you have Jesus, who talks to Paul. So when you read it there in verse two, you've heard from me, me is Paul. So Paul has the direct line of Jesus. You know, not all of us have that in the room. Uh, Maybe me, but that's it. Um, No, so, so this direct line, so you have Jesus, who speaks to Paul, and then Paul to you, the you there is Timothy. Timothy is to entrust, invest into faithful people, there's the fourth generation, who will then in turn invest into people beyond that. You see the five generations? Even in this text, we have this movement of our faith, which is a trip if you think about it. I remember getting hung up on this idea when I became a believer. Maybe it's because of my family background and wanting to be a part of a lineage, but I really wanted to know, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, who is in your lineage of faith? Like, if you can go all the way back to, like, 
was like the apostle John or was like Luke, the person who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, like whose faith did you come out of, right? It's just a, a, anyway, I was tripping out on it. Um, But I want you just to see that, right? This like how it's tied to, and then we're to entrust, which is simply to like set before these things that I showed you over and over and over. But I also want you to see these people are able to do this. So like as believers, they have this ability to do this. They just need to be shown how. Can you see that in verse 2? So, so Paul gives this to Timothy, and so he says, There's, there are people who are able to do this, but I now want you to take this, what I've shown you, and trust, invest into them, send this deposit into them, and then they will be able to do it. But you've got to show them, because they're able to do it, but I want you to show them how to do it. So that's the idea, and that's the main imperative for this whole command. The idea is simple. What you know, invest into others who will invest into others. That's like the baseline of our Christianity. That, that's, and that's not in broad strokes. And this is where I worry that we've tried to complicate things a little bit and say, like, get in a community and it's assumed that's happening. I don't know if it is happening for everyone in the room. I don't know if it's happening for everyone in community. I don't know if it's happening for everyone in leadership. So, so as we see this, I want you to see uh, uh, why this is important. He's going to give three examples. He's going to give the example of a soldier, he's going to give an example of an athlete, and then he's going to give an example of a farmer. And again, he's giving these examples for Timothy as the disciple or to the disciplee, and I kind of want to turn the examples on their head so we can understand how they play out and why they're important. Because again, this can be passed on from one generation to another. So verse 3 says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, as Christ Jesus, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So first thing I just want you to notice, this one's for free. Notice that part, it says right there, share in suffering. Uh, Maybe some of you weren't told this when you became a believer, but like suffering is not removed when you become a believer. Dare I say it's probably added to when you become a believer. And, and, and he says in this, we're to share in that with one another, right? So we're already diving at minimum, at least being in community, but to share in that suffering. And then he goes on to the one, you know, uh, so you can please the one who enlisted you. Another side note before I get to some observations on a soldier um, is I want to be clear on this too. I wholeheartedly believe scripture would point us to the fact that Jesus enlisted you. Like Jesus chose to call your number. The Holy Spirit moved on your heart, regenerated you. You woke up and you go, I'm a believer. I want to follow Jesus Christ. You did not enlist yourself. And so now you're pleasing the one who enlisted you, i.e. God. Okay? And then from there, I I just want to uh, walk through a a few observations. The first observation is this. Um, If you've been enlisted by God, right, and you're looking to please him, what is interesting about a soldier is they are trained to do what they've already signed up to do. Now, that doesn't sound crazy, but uh, maybe you don't understand. So some of you went to school, and you learned how to do a job, and then you got hired on, and you learned the details of that company, but you already knew how to do that job. Like, nobody threw Marsha into teaching math. Like, what do you know? It's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm pretty good at English. Like, why don't you teach math, right? She had to get a degree to know how to teach math first. That's not what happens with soldiers, Soldiers sign on that line, they're a soldier, but then they learn to become a soldier. Do you you understand what I'm saying there? And and here's a second observation with this. They do this through detail, over and over, monotonous detail. And when they're doing this, someone is showing them how to do this. I mean, the reality is anyone in this room could pick up a weapon and use it. Anyone. 
If you have a sword, you could just start wielding that thing around and just throw it around. I mean, for the most part, I would assume most people in the room would know how to handle a gun, at least pull the trigger. But that doesn't mean you know how to handle it the right way. And so somebody uh, comes on the scene. Now, now, here you are as a believer. Someone teaches you to become what you already are, a believer. And through training, through monotonous detail, over and over and over again, someone is guiding you in this process. And then lastly, the third uh, observation, I want you to see the statement that he makes here in verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. This is a command. I think what he's arguing here is for Timothy in regards to um, other things that he shouldn't be as a discipler. But I also want to see that as this is a, a, um, a generic idea for all believers, for us in general as disciples, that we should not be getting entangled in things that we shouldn't be getting entangled with. And, and for all the self-motivated people in the room, maybe there's some people who need someone to disciple them to push them along and nudge them along. But some of you can go, well, I don't really need that. I'm self-motivated. But the reality is, even as someone personally who is very self-motivated, I can be self-motivated for the wrong things. And I need a lot. You can ask the elders this. I need a lot to be uh, redirected. No, this is where your motivation needs to go. This is where your, your activity, this is where your effort needs to go. And this is important because this is what somebody needs who's a soldier. They need somebody to go do this. It's not because you're a mindless drone. It's because, check it out, you don't know everything. You don't know everything. And there are people who know more than you. There have been people who've been walking in the faith longer than you. And as they're helping you, they're not doing it to make you feel small. They're doing it because they love you. Or at least in this purpose, in this example, because there's a mission ahead. And we have a mission to accomplish. And so don't get tangled up in this. Stay focused here. The second example that he gives is an athlete. An athlete. Um, it says this, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rule. So let me just break down just real quick, athlete there and what, what he's using. Uh, three observations on this. One is, uh, we've talked about this before, what makes an athlete? I've, I've said the term, what makes a hooper before, like somebody who plays basketball. I think an athlete, as you look at an athlete, isn't someone who just competes or just does something, right? You see somebody who's out there uh, playing football or just messing around, hitting a racquetball, you're going, that's an athlete. That's usually not what happens. An athlete is somebody who combines the world of putting all that they are into their sport, but also have an emotional side of it, who love it. So you have people who love football, but never played football a day in their life. They're probably not an athlete. There's people who will play football like just to, for exercise or whatever, but they're probably not an athlete because they don't care about football. And so a combination of these two is what makes an athlete. And I think this is also what Paul's getting at. An athlete, or in this instance, again, this is Timothy, but turning the, the idea on its head, for us even as believers, we both have active faith and a caring towards that faith. There's, a, there's a, an emotional side that we, we know that we know that we know that Jesus is who he said that he is, and we care about this enough to do something about it. So he said the second thing, um, an athlete at its core, his or her core, plays to win. We play to win the game. That's Herm Edwards, right? Okay. We, we play this uh, sport to win. We, we compete. And this is something I got to say for our congregation. I think some of this might be some of the root cause of what's going on. It's an unfortunate thing that the human being does. And it's just since Genesis 3. We have a tendency to allow the pendulum and sometimes make the pendulum swing. And so when we see something wrong in something, we don't just try to remove the wrong in it and try to balance ourselves. We flee far from it. And so what we have is an example of this would be 
You know, you see somebody who sees diet and exercise as an idol, right? And you see how terrible that could do or what people do to their bodies do that. And then you completely go to the other side. You swing and you go, oh, see, that's ridiculous. Eat what you want. Do what you want. It's going to be fine. But, but hear me, idleness is just as bad as idolatry. And so that's not okay either. And I think what we've seen, there's a word that came to mind as I process this athlete idea when we talk about swinging this pendulum, and it's effort. I worry that like sometimes I'll see things or or people will say things and yes and amen. Listen, you're never going to be the perfect mom. You're never going to be the perfect dad. You're not going to be the perfect Christian. You're not going to get it right. Yes and amen, but we're going to try. And it's not going to try based on our own effort. We're not going to try because we think that's what gets us to God. We're going to try because we're striving for the crown of Christ. And so, so uh, again, apathy or idleness is not okay either. An athlete goes all in. They work, they eat, they sleep their sport. They make it about it. They're all in. And that's what it, as he, he processes this, I think this is ultimately when he gets at that third declaration, you don't, uh, those who don't follow the rules are disqualified. Is the same echo in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27 that Paul is getting at. See, for the Greek games, this is before, even before the Olympic games, A Greek uh, athlete, before he could compete, had to do three things. Very simple. Uh, One, he had to stand before Zeus, and he had to pledge that for the last 10 months, he was uh, training, he'd been doing what he's supposed to do. Number two, he had to pledge that he was a a, a citizen of Greece. He was a, a Greek citizen. And three, he had to pledge that he was going to follow the rules of the sport. Now, what I find interesting about this declaration is, um, see, just like a soldier, um, an athlete, wildly benefits with a coach. See, there's so many things that we can like glean off this example here. Um, I remember the first time, played basketball all my life, and the first time a coach, I didn't get to play organized sports when I was a kid, um, and I was a freshman in high school, made, my, made the high school team, and the coach told me to watch the guy with the basketball, watch the offensive players, I played defense, watch his waist. Now, I've been playing defense, I'm just a baller, so I just played it however I played it. It was like, well, what's up? But, um, I remember like, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Like that's, br- I remember the, a coach showed me this. And so, so hear me when I say this. Um, as you, you process being an athlete, uh, the law sets the rules. The rules of this, Christ, the law of Christ that says, here's what I want you to follow. A coach helps show you what those rules, how they play out, how to do them, what's right, what's wrong. That's what a coach does. In coaching uh, high school basketball this year, the first week I had to spend on not just the major rules, traveling, double dribble, but I had to talk about detail rules. When does it actually count when you cross half court? Uh, how, when does uh, one foot, two feet in the key for three seconds? All these details. Because I know that. They don't know this. And so a good coach shows them how to play the game. You need a coach. Just like you need an officer, you need a coach. We need coaches. This leads to our third example. This one's a little more tricky. Verse six, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to, sh- to uh, have the first share of the crops. So this one um, really begins to put in the uh, extreme nature of that Paul's not talking about just someone who's being discipled, but specifically to the discipler. And so I wanna say, I wanna flip the script real quick um, and talk to those of you who should be discipling. Because as much as there are a lot of people in our congregation, and this is something we hear all the time at Redemption Peoria, you have a very young church. You're very young. I never know what to say to that, but thank you very much, right? Okay? And so when we hear this, but also I recognize there's a lot of you who have been believers for a long time. And, and, and your faith is stagnant, not in that you're not growing, but you're not helping others grow. 
And, and he, in this declaration here, um, it seems so clear. I think what he's saying, I would argue what he's saying, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He's talking specifically, I think, with Paul, or with uh, Timothy, um, in laying out how he should be able to uh, live off of what the congregation is providing. But I think the, the analogy is playing it out, that the discipler is the farmer, and that you need to be discipled, you're the crops, okay? And here's why I think there's a few observations that I think is, is good for you to know if you're in this room and you should be discipling someone. Um, maybe by way of encouragement or way of rebuke. I don't know which one. Um, I want just for all of us, and maybe this is to all of us as deacons as well, those of you who are discipling someone even now and recognize how difficult it is. um, You know, a farmer doesn't bring life. That's not what a farmer does. A farmer's job is not to provide sun and provide soil and provide water, even though we can provide synthetic versions of that. Um, No, a farmer usually, at least at a mass scale, has to rely and work with nature. And so nobody drives by a row of corn and goes, isn't it crazy that corn just naturally grows in rows like that? No, that doesn't happen. We know that we work alongside to produce, well, before we genetically modified it, it might have just grown however we wanted to, but now it's just our thing, a human thing. God's like, I don't even know what corn is anymore. Um, but, but my point is this, the farmer works with nature. He doesn't provide life. Hear me when I say this. Man, if you want to step into this game, maybe a word of encouragement or rebuke, but listen, our job is not to make disciples. That's not our job, right? Um, even as you read Matthew 28, 16 through 18, um, I want to lend it to him like, yes, Jesus is making the disciples, and this is, gets into the whole middle language in Greek. Jesus is making the disciples just like we're to work alongside nature, we're to work alongside Jesus. Jesus is training people and discipling people. The Spirit is speaking to these people. We're coming alongside them, and we're saying, hey, do you see this in the text? Hey, what's the Lord saying to you on this? We're we're, we're coming alongside them. We don't provide life. That's not something we can't do. We can't spark that fire, but we can help organize it like a farmer. We can help tend to these things. So I just want to encourage you, if if you're in the room and you know you need to be discipling, or if you are discipling and you know how hard it is, uh, be encouraged for for whatever that's worth. So here's, I want to wind this down. I actually want to go back uh, to the beginning of our text because it's something I skipped over, and it's in verse 1. I want you to see something. It's another analogy that I think is worth uh, noticing, and it's not an analogy that he gives uh, on the idea of discipleship. It's just what he declares and who he is and who Timothy is. But it is itself a life analogy. Look at this in verse 1. Go back to verse 1. This is how our text started. I just didn't read it. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul loves this term for Timothy. He loves this term, my child. And um, I have no idea how much Paul knows or doesn't know when the Spirit is, is using him to write these things down. But this might be the best analogy we can come up with. And not to be overdramatic, to overplay it, but I think... As we kind of look across our congregation, there's a lot of spiritual, fatherless, and motherless people in our congregation. Meaning, I don't know how many people you have, we have in our faith that are going, this is my father in the faith. This is my mother in the faith. This is someone, so let me just, I don't need to play out all the analogies of uh, being a parent. Most of us would get this idea. But I'll tell you right now, nobody cares about uh, uh, my children the way that my wife and I do. Nobody in this room, nobody ever will. As a matter of fact, I don't know if my children will care as much about themselves as we do them. Honestly. 
And so what, what that happens is, is yes, I provide parameters. Yes, we discipline. Yes, we have rules. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, we want them to thrive. And more than just a soldier for victory, and more than just an athlete for a crown, or more just farmer than crops, my soul, my heart is knit together with this little being. And I care desperately for them. I want the best for them. And that means when it's hard, when the grandparents don't want to do it, when the neighbors don't want to do it, when the people in the community don't want to do it, we got to do it. And we're digging in, and we're there when no one's there. We're there with the tears, whether we cause them or not, right? We're there. We're there. We're there. Who do you have in your life that's like that? Paul makes this declaration, my child. Who are you saying that to? Who's saying that to you? My child. Because listen, what you've got to be reminded, notice that be strengthened there. It's in the passive. It doesn't say, my child, gird up, strengthen up. No, be strengthened. Who's reminding you where your strength comes from? Because your default is always going to be legalism. Your default is always going to be self-driven effort. Even when I said all that, I just got to do. That's not the point of the text. The point of the text is someone to remind you, listen, you've got to be strengthened. Be strengthened by the strength of Jesus Christ. And so I want to leave us with four closing thoughts on this idea and and where we can do better. And I'm grateful that God has shown, just even if nothing else, if some of you are out there and go, no, I'm killing discipleship right now. Because I think the reality is, I think discipleship is happening, um, but there hasn't been this mass for us as a congregation, a mass effort in going, here's how we want to disciple. Here's exactly what, what it looks like. And you know what's crazy? Let me just give props where props are due. When we first planted, and uh, we were asked about this, well, what does discipleship look like? Shirley Ellis called this out. I'm not kidding. She asked, she said, well, what are we using for discipleship? And I said, well, honestly, discipleship is life on life. Let me give you any type of cool missional term. Life on life, you know, we're doing this life together, whatever it is. And that's all true, but that was part of discipleship. And I pushed against like, well, we don't want to give eight weeks and then you're accomplishing your disciple. No, I don't want to err on that side of either, but I think somebody needs to intentionally go, hey, here's what we're going to do. Over the course of this year, I want to show you how, what it means to walk on mission. I want to show you what it means to evangelize to someone. I want to show you what it means to read your Bible. I want to show you what it means to pray. I want to show you what it means to to lead your family. I want to show you, I want to show you, I want to show you. I want to disciple you. That's what I want to do. That's intentional discipleship. And so as we move forward in this, there are ways to do it, but I want to give you four closing uh, uh, things on this. I want to encourage us over this next year, uh, one, based on what we just read there, uh, to be strengthened, to not rely on our own strength in doing this. So um, even as leaders and staff, we're already working together to put these things in place. And we have been working together. John's been working really hard on putting a lot of these things in place already. Um, But even as we do this, I want to encourage those of you who want to enter into this process, not only is it not by your own strength, but there is, I love this in in, uh, Colossians 129, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. The idea of discipleship and discipling other people is, It's difficult. It's difficult. And you toil, both in being discipled and discipling, but you're not toiling or putting forth your effort by your own strength. My prayer would be that God would lead us in this. Like we would just go with the flow of what discipleship looks like. Here's what it is. Holy Spirit, give us, bless us, put your hand over us as we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Number two, an observation. We're not a mindless cult, okay? So I'm not asking anyone in the room to look to someone and say, I submit to you, master, okay? Um, But at the same time, what I am saying is uh, the idea to learn under uh, is the idea to submit. And 
Um, to admit that you're wrong and to look for someone else to guidance is not to say that person has all of it together, right? Right. But God has chosen to use frail people to lead frail people. And so that person who's leading you definitely does not have it all together. Absolutely. You can ask them that. And if they say they have it all together, my hope would be you would tell me because we don't want them <laughs> discipling anyone. Okay. Um, or if they're Jesus, then it's like, he's fine. Okay. Um, but my, my, my point is this, that, 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 uh, we're not some like, so, so this is not as easy as, but there are paths that we can do. And I think we have failed, uh, to do the third thing that, uh, as an observation, um, this is going to be a long process, not just discipleship, life discipleship and what it looks like for all of us. But I just want to encourage us to not be so ready on the quit button. Okay. Both in interaction, eventually that person who loves you like a, a child, who loves you like a soldier, who loves you like a, an athlete, who loves you like crops, uh, who cares for you, who's around you, eventually that person's going to have to call your bluff. And I have been so discouraged. I mean, can we just talk for a second about how easy this generation quits? Good Lord. Um, Candace just finished Malcolm Gladwell's book. This is all off the notes here. Candace just finished Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outliers. And she was talking about how in other cultures, they're taught to be like, and you taught this, old, the older folks in the room, uh, older folks in the room, uh, whatever. Um, you, you were taught to like, do, no, like I do this until I figure it out. My middle son Titus was given uh, the Nintendo Switch for uh, um, Christmas, and he's given this Mario. Well, when I played Mario, you had to play until you beat the game. And if you didn't beat the game, you weren't going to the next level. You know what the new Mario has? It has a call Luigi, okay? And so you're playing. You can't beat the level? Just call Luigi. He'll beat it for you. And I was like, Titus, you use that one more time. I'm taking the switch away, okay? Because Titus is like, I beat it, I beat it. Luigi, 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 Luigi. Mario, Luigi, Luigi, Luigi. I'm like, that doesn't count. You beat none of those levels, okay? There's no quit option on this. You're going to get pressed. Discipleship is not easy. You're not greater than your master. And your master, Jesus Christ, he suffered a lot. He suffered a lot. So don't be so quick, quick on the ready button. And this is the last thing I'll say, and then I am done. It's just the uh, outplaying of this. So um, the tangible nature of this, this is what you can look forward to. So we're going to continue to press you into community. If you're in this room, um, we believe the spirit moves in any kind of way possible. We're not trying to, um, you know, we do things pretty simple. We have our corporate gatherings, our communities, and we do classes. And when we do these things, people ask, are there women's groups? Are there mom's groups? Are there dad's groups? Are there men's groups? We don't have those things, but those things organically grow. And actually, we like that. We want to encourage you to find other moms, to find other dads, to get men together. That's beautiful, okay? And so discipleship may be happening, and you may be uh, being discipled currently, but the structure as we look at a congregation together and say, how can we do this all together to make sure that we um, stay clear, we stay potent in our discipleship, we're still going to funnel through communities. Which means, if you're in the room and you go, I really want to be discipled. I want to have someone who's discipling me. The place you're going to need to start is still the place we've talked and will continue to preach. Get in community. Get in community. At which point, the people, if you don't understand our ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, the way that our church operates is we're elder-led, and being elder-led, we have deacons. Our deacons are our community leaders. They're our redemption community leaders. Our deacons, you will go to one of your, uh, go to the community that you have, the deacon there, and you'll go, hey, I want to be discipled. And that deacon will be given this month as we continue to roll this out. Well, here's what we're going to do. Now, hear me. Some of you go, man, I'm not in a phase right now. I can go on Sundays, and I, I can go uh, uh, to community, and I want to get as much time as I can, but I don't know if I can commit another whatever or whatever it is. You've got to figure that out. That's not on me or you. That just is what it is. Maybe it's a life phase. 
It is. But I will say this. If you want to be discipled, get in community. Uh, We're going to meet at the end of this month as the deacons and elders. And as we get together, we're going to talk about the process that's laid out. We're going to use the spring to train our deacons in exactly how we want to do this, using the summer and then into the fall to begin to play this out. So if you want to be discipled, we would just ask for patience. I'll, I'll speak on behalf of the elders. We've definitely missed this. And so some of you I know have even said, have been frustrated. I don't know if I'm being discipled. We want that to change. This is the way that Jesus has laid before us. Everything we've talked about falls into the funnel of discipleship. I just think the passing of one generation to another, we just missed it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, first of all, just for the discipleship that is taking place. Even in a passive way, um, so many people that you have grown in your faith through the preaching of the word on Sundays or being around uh, your body and communities throughout the week, um, through a class, uh, through different relationships that they've made in our congregation. I'm I'm grateful for that, that discipleship. Um, We also, I know I repent even um, in just acknowledging that there hasn't been an intentionality of um, putting structure around um, leading people, your people, Um, in knowing your ways, passing on our faith from one generation to another, just hoping that it would land and stick. And I pray that um, as we go forward in this endeavor to lean into discipleship, individual, active, intentional discipleship, that you'd be with us. That we would toil, but it wouldn't be our own strength, it would be yours. That we would continue to be strengthened. We wouldn't try to strengthen ourselves. God, I pray that we would know you well, that we would hear your voice, and that we would use your, your body believers around us um, to see what we need to see and to, to uh, grow us where we need to grow. Help us in this. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.